Hey, this week, my guest on the show is Samantha Calamari. Samantha is Senior Learning Experience Designer for Inclusion at Microsoft. And if you're wondering what has inclusion got to do with me, well, think of it this way. There are many learners out there who are dyslexic or they've got some hearing impairments. They've got some abilities and perhaps disabilities which need to be taken into account by people like you and me. And this is what inclusive learning is all about. Samantha is dyslexic, and she talks about that this week. And I think more often than not, I've come across people who have said to me, you know, the training would be great and really help me if it did this or had this or included me in these ways. And I think someone selling workshops, training programs should care, therefore, about inclusive design. It makes good business sense. And it also holds up some key principles. So we're going to cover a couple of those things today in this episode with Samantha. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm the host of this show, The Training Business Podcast. If this is your first time here, it's the show for people like you and me, coaches, trainers, facilitators, learning and development consultants. And it's principally aimed at people who are making a living from their expertise, their knowledge, their experience and sharing that with people who pay for it in the form of workshops and training and coaching. Now, if you're someone who's not yet done this, this is great. And if you're someone who is doing this currently and has been doing it for a while, you're still welcome because every week I learn loads. As someone who's been in this business for years and years, I learn loads from the guests I have on the show and from people like you telling me about the kinds of guests and content that you would like to have featured on the show. And every Thursday, there is an episode of the show on your podcast platform of choice. Samantha, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. Thrilled to be here. Your role is Senior Learning Experience Designer Inclusion at Microsoft. Tell me about that role specifically. So the work I do as a learning experience designer at Microsoft uh, really is built on my my experience and and background being a learner myself. Um, I came into this space, um, as we all did, uh, as a a young person navigating my educational career. And... um, when I was in fifth grade, I stayed back a year because it was discovered I'm dyslexic. And having having kind of fought some battles up until that point, and then having um, this this uh, disability kind of claimed um, and 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 uh, subst- um, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, diagnosed to me. Um, I realized that I was forever going to have to kind of navigate a way through my education experience that was different from those around me. So uh, workarounds and um, and just 
figuring out different ways of learning was something I had to do really from that age of 10 moving forward. So just to kind of speed up to where uh, the work I do now um, really focuses on providing spaces for any learner coming into a learning experience. And instead of having them um, having to do those type of workarounds, really creating space for those those, um, different uh, ways of learning to be honored and uh, promoted and fostered in a learning space. I'm curious because I don't have dyslexia. What is it like as a learner to have dyslexia? And I'm asking this question because many people listening may not have experienced dyslexia firsthand. Yeah. So for me, being dyslexic has always had this, and really up until I've gotten deeper into the work that I've done with inclusive learning design as a learner, it's always had this kind of on the outside, um, being on the outside, looking in kind of component to it. So I think whenever I think about what it feels like to be dyslexic or what it what kind of the experiential piece of being dyslexic is, I think about, um, you know, those that back to that time when I was 10 years old, and I had to stay inside and work with my teacher to work on reading and phonics when I was, um, you know, when everybody else was going out to recess. And it even though I was inside looking out, it was this feeling of being left out and just feeling like, there was something I, I wasn't getting to do and that I just wasn't getting in general, that there was a sense of, of just not feeling like I was fully um, embracing and, and com- comprehending what I needed to. So I think it's just is, is consistently throughout my adult life until I really came into the work I do around inclusive learning design, for me as a learner, has always felt like maybe there's something I'm not getting, or maybe I just have to think about things differently, or, you know, maybe there's a workaround I have to create to be more, um, you know, included in a learning space and even, you know, in different types of work environments as well. So why should someone selling workshops, selling training programs, selling their services as someone who is an expert in some aspect of learning and development, why should those people care about inclusive design? So something I talk about as far as um, a business need goes in inclusive learning design is that we are all learners that come into a learning space with different identities, right? So even if it's somebody who... um, feels represented in a space or doesn't have um, a a learning disability or isn't differently abled, um, doesn't have a neuro, uh, a a neuro um, divergent uh, thinking. Hmm. I, you know, there's still um, multiple identities that all learners are coming into the space around. So Hmm. that could be, you know, these layered identities where, you might be having students who are part-time learners who need to be listening to um, learning as they're commuting because that's the only time they have to uh, come into a learning experience. They might be single parents. And so 
there's different uh, elements of life that impact us as learners. Mm-hmm. And the more that you can create spaces that really honor um, as in accommodations and as needs and really in preferences for all of those learners, it, mm-hmm. it just creates more of a, of a welcoming learning experience, but then also a learning experience where everyone can thrive and you as a provider of that training can have that much more success in what you're teaching and what you hope that people take away from an experience. I often wonder if people who run their own workshops, sell their own courses and programs, let's say as solopreneurs, as people running their own businesses, one or two people businesses, are conscious of the fact that their audience, their buying public could, in fact, often does include someone who has an element of neurodivergence or simply some learning challenge, which they're not aware of. So I'm running a program. I've got my slides up. I've got my handouts. I've got some workshop exercises, but I haven't thought about the fact that there could be people in the room who haven't told me about their challenges. I'm cautious about using the word disability because sometimes they are actually advantageous in some respects. Um, Similarly, I could have a program. I mean, as a LinkedIn learning instructor, you might be running something which uh, is video-based. Other people could be running programs which are, let's say, synchronous, live. Um, But the learning environment has not been designed in such a way that everyone feels equally enabled perhaps equally challenged and equally included. What is the consequence commercially if we don't do a good job of including everyone who is a customer to us and to our businesses? So the consequence um, really has to do with that feeling of exclusion and that ultimately there is going to be people who just are not going to be, are not going to walk away with the ideal learning results that you're looking for. Um, And so there is this element of taking the time to get to know your learners before you come into a learning uh, design experience. So um, before you even start putting together those materials, if possible, if you have access to your learners, get to know them, understand who they are, understand what their needs are, what those identities are that I talked about before, and really get a full um, a full holistic grasp of who your learners are and what their needs are and where those um, type of learning preferences or those learning needs are coming in. And there's just simple things that you can do to address those. Um, so let's say, for example, you have um, you know that somebody is going to be in a workshop you're teaching that is uh, visually impaired. So they will not be able to see the slides that you are creating, making sure that there's audio descriptions of those slides, making sure even if you are just live speaking of those slides, making sure that you're giving those audio or those visual descriptions, um, making sure that you have an element of, um, you know, closed captions for uh, mm. audio uh, 
uh, impaired um, learners. Or people so with just some kind of dyslexia. Right, exactly. And and again, so there's there's simple things that you can do when getting into those under that understanding of what your learners' needs are, that you can pivot your design in that creation beforehand or even in the moment of offering those trainings. So it seems to me like we have to do something along the lines of a careful audit, uh, find out perhaps through conversation or some kind of survey or check-in with people coordinating design on behalf of our uh, consumers, customers, clients, whether someone has specific needs which need to be addressed in our training. Secondly, finding some way to accommodate those in the course of the learning experience. It could be during the training. It could be something that we do prior to a workshop. It could also then be Part three, which is follow-up, ensuring that whatever materials or elements that we introduce to sustain and embed that learning also is inclusive. Um, I'm curious about a couple of things that you said to me before we recorded, which is um, the importance of including learners at the beginning of the design process. Talk to me a bit about that. Yeah. So in addition to this idea around really getting to know your learners and what their needs are and what their identities are and how that impacts your learning and their learning, um, what I recommend is in the design process, when you're actually starting to figure out what your learning objectives are for a training, what you're planning on doing through that training, what types of materials you want to offer, at the very beginning of that process, have um, a stakeholder group of your learners represented and have them review and be in this co-design space with you. Because it's really when you have that those perspectives and that point of view of what those learners' experiences are that you're going to start seeing where and how you can um, create designs that have flexibility, that have personalization, that have um, that are responsive, that are also communal, and have those um, those areas come into the design to make them more um, inclusive, but then also represented of the learners that you have and their needs um, in that ultimate design that you're getting to. And it seems to me also a way to avoid any unfortunate outcome whereby afterwards we find that someone has left negative feedback following a program because they don't feel included. And yeah. from a selfish, selfish perspective, we want to avoid that, where people suggest that the learning experience wasn't suitable for them or enjoyable for them or productive for them. And it's simply because no one took the time to consult with them and find out what they needed, what what challenges they were facing, or as you said, what accommodation could have been made to suit their learning styles. And even in that design process, you want to avoid getting to that point right before you launch a program. So, you know, something that um, is often done is like an accessibility audit right before you you uh, pass on materials and you start uh, running a program. So. 
a lot of times if you wait until that last moment of doing an accessibility audit and you haven't included your learners up until that point, you're going to be doing a ton of scrambling, you know, probably a lot of rework, a lot of, you know, just revisions that you could have avoided at the beginning of the process if you had those learners along with you in the design journey. So important to, again, not just think about them at the end of the program, but really throughout the whole design process. And then, you know, when you're ready to launch. And I'd like to invite people listening to ask themselves, have they ever run or seen an accessibility audit run? Um, it may not be something too complex to do. It could simply be a series of steps, which gives you the confidence that all learning styles requirements have been reflected in how you've designed and produce your content, whether it's video or whether it's something you're running live. Um, you also talk about learner layers, Samantha. What exactly are learner layers? So when we're thinking about learners and the identities that they bring into to a learning experience, um, there's multiple layers that we have. Um, you know, I talked about my dyslexia in the beginning of this conversation, but I also, you know, have other learning layers that I bring into a learning space. Um, and we all do. And I think something that before we even get into looking at our learners layers is to look at our own layers as learners, right? So even if you are on the side of offering a training program and you are the instructor or facilitator, don't forget that you're a learner as well, and you've had your whole, you know, experience and learning uh, journey throughout your life. And what does that mean for you? What? Do, how do you um, navigate information? How do you um, participate in um, in a virtual classroom or an in-person classroom? How do you um, connect with peers and learn from other people and have them learn from you, from you. So really looking at your kind of first, uh, you as a first learner and as a, um, as a learner that you can learn from as well. And then once you've sort of done that reflection and that kind of self audit, um, get into what your other uh, learners are and what their identity layers are. So again, as I mentioned before, you know, maybe it's somebody who is um, only has time to learn when they're driving in their car and they only can listen to audio, uh, audio recording. Um, maybe it's somebody who has, let's say, a, a, a situational disability and um, they can only use their uh, left hand uh, temporarily, um, let's say, for whatever situation they're in. So there's a, there's a just a number of different layers that people bring in. And the more that um, there are design elements that you're considering that are uh, creating customization, personalization, and flexibility, the more that those learners can tailor their learning needs and their learning preferences to make their learning experience as successful as possible. So we don't want people listening to panic and say, well, I then have to create this workshop which suits every single possible learning style or learning layer or learning requirement. That's not the case. It could simply be a question of making an audit and doing your very best to ensure that um, whichever mode of learning 
you are delivering training or coaching or facilitation through is taking into account the needs of your primary audience. These are people whom you know uh, have particular requirements because you've taken the trouble to find out. Or secondary, you simply make accommodations should someone ever uh, have a particular condition or requirement and needs to go through your training. And it, it need not be so onerous as perhaps uh, it sounds. Um, it's future-proofing as well, your products, to ensure that people are uh, included and feel good about taking your training because it suits them, it works for them, and uh, it makes good business sense. The, the next thing you talked about, we'll wrap up on this point, Samantha, is um, what you feel people listening can achieve by applying the four pillars of ILD or instruction what would you define that, that acronym, first of all, as ILD? Um, so, yeah, so inclusive learning design, ILD, yeah. is really mm. exactly what it sounds like. It's the idea of mm. applying design practices and really what I call the power of design, which is mm -hmm. can be a very, uh, very strong and, and wonderful tool to create inclusive experiences and in this case inclusive learning experiences so i think there's um many people who work in some sort of capacity in design whether it's product design industrial design graphic design um and in many ways we're all kind of solution solutionaries to uh help provide worlds and spaces for people to to uh, navigate it. And in the case of learning design, really where um, I've tried to take the work is to make the what I call the four pillars of inclusive learning design as tangible and applicable to really any learning audience that you will be working with. And not only any learning audience, but really every working audience, every uh, uh, learning audience that you'll be working with. So the idea here is that these four principles, which I've already kind of worked into this conversation, I subtly did it, but um, I'll, I'll illuminate them a little bit more uh, now. The idea is that the learning is personalized. That's pillar one, uh, two, responsive, three, flexible, and four, communal. And by encompassing all four of these practices and these pillars that you will you can allow any learner to come into the space and get what they need out of a learning experience without having to tailor it for each learner and it would be extraordinarily complex to design some kind of training for every single person. We're, it's really a best effort, right? We're trying to um, think of all the permutations or possibilities and ensure that whatever we produce, deliver, design, uh, it accommodates those requirements as best we can. But nothing's perfect, right? Yeah, and another thing that I, you're, you're, yes, you're so right. It's like we do the best we can with the tools that we have and the, and the design kind of powers that, that be. One other piece that I, I do suggest, because I, I note, and as you've noted, Mark, this can feel very overwhelming. Like, how do I design for every single person and all their layers of identities? 
And in addition to applying the four pillars, which again, kind of give you this general tool of, of creating designs that can be used the way that learners need to use them based on whatever their needs and preferences are. But it also um, can be a good starting point to target a specific audience. So let's say, for example, you do know that there's a considerable amount of learners that come into your learning space that uh, are visually impaired. So you might work with just that group initially when you're building out a first iteration of your design and then release that um, release that learning experience to that group as well as your other learners. And then in the you know in the spirit of design and the iterative nature of design, you might do another uh, rev, another revision of that design. And then that version, maybe you are targeting audiences that maybe have like a low bandwidth connectivity. So what are things that you can encompass and bring into your design that will meet the needs of those learners? But the idea here is that by creating the needs for each of those target audiences, you're continually building on each of those audiences and broadening the reach that you have for all of the learners that are coming into the space. So that's just another thing that you can do if you feel like it's too overwhelming to start everywhere, if you need to start just somewhere. And it sounds also, as you're describing this, Samantha, that um, you could, in an agile sense, take something, release it to a specific audience, get some feedback, learn from that, and then release it to another sector of the audience, prospective audience, get some feedback from them. And that way you've confidence that your training, your coaching is aligned with specific user groups. Um, and I can also say an ending here that um, it's also good business sense when you're th thinking of selling into corporates, the fact that you're able to show them that you take accessibility into consideration, that's got to be a plus. It shows that um, you're considering their internal requirements and it sounds to me as if it could be easier for you to sell your program if you're a vendor selling your own workshops, material, coaching, training into a corporate. If you've given them, so, if you've given them some thought and if you've uh, an ability to walk them through the process of how you're going to ensure that in conjunction with an accessibility audit, you're going to give them uh, confidence that your program will meet their learner needs. So there's one thing I'm sure that uh, would concern anyone buying training if they're in corporate. They're thinking, how do I know this vendor is going to give me material, content, um, learning, which is going to sit well with our internal audience. And if uh, someone who buys training um, from a procurement perspective is looking at vendors in the marketplace, they're probably looking for things like this. You know, they're looking for some thought given to uh, possibilities of dyslexia or um, hearing uh, challenges. And I've had that myself. I've run a workshop with um, a large Irish uh, charity, worldwide charity. And um, I've had people actually who are, uh, who speak a different language to me in the room who are also visually impaired. And they've had a translator and someone who's acting as their eyes as well. So that's unusual. It does happen. And uh, luckily, 
I was able to work with that client organization to think of ways to accommodate them. There was a translator and we ensured that the exercises and the content uh, were inclusive for them. And the last thing you want is someone to feel excluded, left out, overlooked. Uh, it doesn't bode well for them and it certainly doesn't help your reputation if you're someone providing content and uh, making a living from it. Samantha, where can people find out more about you? Um, LinkedIn is the best place to go. So uh, LinkedIn and Samantha Calamari, just look me up and uh, please let me know if you have any questions about inclusive learning design. Um, I encourage everybody just, I, I, you know, the first step is the first step and there's no endpoint to inclusion. You're going to be consistently iterating and building and growing and exploring in your inclusive journey. So I just encourage you to take the first step and please reach out if you'd like to discuss uh, where you're at in your journey and how I can support you. Haven't you a website as well, samanthacalamari.com? Yes, I do. Yes, it's a, it's just samanthacalamari.com. And uh, please feel free to look more at my portfolio there and as well as uh, other ways that I provide services. Wonderful. Samantha, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Mark, thanks so much for having me. It was a great conversation and uh, and really appreciate the time. That's it for this week. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And sincere thanks to Samantha for being my guest today on the show. And if you'd like more episodes like this, there's only one thing to do, really, which is to subscribe. You'll find all episodes past, present, and future over on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Spotify or Apple or something else. If you'd like to get in touch, and I really would like if you would, it's mark at trainingbusiness.com. If you've got some suggestions or some mentions, some people you'd like to have on the show, perhaps some authors or people who inspire you as a business consultant, as a trainer, a coach, then please let me know. My email address again is mark at trainingbusiness.com. Otherwise, there is a fresh episode of the show on your podcast platform of choice next Thursday waiting for you. I'll be waiting for you too. Until then, look after yourself. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.